Welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and it's Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. We just got out of a Fed meeting. Uh, some notes, uh, Arusha and I will talk about that a little bit later, but let's go ahead and introduce Arusha. Arusha Piras is an O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, and he joins me on the show every week. Thank goodness. How are you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. <laughs> okay. And also returning to the show, we have Lisa Chai. She is a Portfolio Manager and Research analyst at Robo Global. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Thank you. It's great to be back. Okay. And on today's show, uh, we're going to spend a couple segments with Lisa, first of all, to talk about everything from autonomous driving to AI to gaming and metaverse. I mean, there's a lot that uh, she really can do a deep dive on. So we can't wait to hear about that. And then, as I mentioned, Arush and I at the last segment, we'll talk a little bit about the market and any stocks on our radar. But first, uh, Lisa, let's start out with the last time you were on the show with Arusha, uh, you were talking a lot about this autonomous driving and you had a white paper out, but that was what a year and a half ago. A lot's, uh, what, what's been happening since then? Yeah, it seems like a lot has happened. Um, we were just thinking about, I think you're right, it was about 18 months ago that we put together this really extensive white, white paper on autonomous vehicles. And I think the, our readers were really surprised at the time at how the report really provided some realistic expectations and took away some of the hype that we had all heard about self-driving cars. Um, so while we were all really impressed with all the technologies from Waymo and Tesla and Argo AI, and all the venture investing has been really um, up the roof on the funding side, we did see that in terms of the actual deployment of self-driving cars on the roads were pretty limited. Um, I think that in terms of level one to five, five being the full autonomy, um, at the time level three was where we were at. And, and today, I would say that hasn't really changed very much. And that's probably due to regulations, right? Mm. So you're looking at, we need some type of a standardized regulations. Um, I think the ride sharing autonomy cars have advanced a little bit further because there's a less regulation in that aspect. Um, but in terms of the actual consumer focused self-driving cars, um, you're still not seeing that accessibility. Innovation's there, and the technology has actually really advanced if you look under the hood. So at CES this year, you got to see all the automakers. They're very vocal and ambitious. They're trying to compete, obviously, with Tesla. And it was really interesting to see that even a company like Cadillac and Volkswagen, they right. all believe that they're not really an automaker. They're actually a software company. Mm -hmm. So you, you saw what, what sort of the biggest takeaway from CES is that not only are they a software company, but they're also giving you a, a, this little mini data center in a unit, just happens to have wheels. So every company came out with this really slick solution without any steering wheel and very minimum control. Where are we in terms of actual having this access? I don't think that we're gonna be able to get this anytime soon, but I would say from the time that we wrote the white paper where we thought our consensus at Robo Global was that it, it was gonna take about a decade in terms of actually having this for purchase for, for a regular consumer, right? Um, but now looking at what, where the automakers are going and how quickly they're advancing and the type of investments that you're seeing in technology, uh, the sensing technology has really improved. Uh, the, the chips have really advanced. Mm 
So you're seeing this connectivity that's happening, a uh, really easy interface. And I think the integration of software has really vastly improved. So I would say that um, from the time that we wrote the white paper, we're actually maybe five to seven years away, which is really, I think, a pretty big advancement. And that's because of all the excitement and the investing around it. So it's a very exciting time, I think. And in terms of the enterprise side, you are still seeing the self-driving kind of um, forklifts happening and indoor drones that's on the manufacturing floors and also on the distribution center. So that advancement is happening at a full speed. So Lisa, it, it really is an exciting time. Lisa, do you think that during this time, because there is regulation and, and even though things are, they might've slowed down one part, but the timeline uh, five to seven years, do you think Tesla has maybe even built a little bit more of a lead? Because even though it's not level five, they have so many drivers out there doing their, you know, just driving and putting the car into self-drive when, when they're on highways and they're collecting all that data. Uh, yeah. And in the end, you know, the data is, is key, especially into, with something like this. Yes, I think you're right. And that's a good point because I think what people don't understand is that AI building and training data and having AI's capabilities to improve over time is really hard to do. And it's going to take time. So you can't just be a new entrant in the marketplace coming in and making a big splash. So Tesla is still ahead of everybody else because of the data that they have right at this moment. But I do believe that um, in time, uh, if you, with the right type of investments and having a really extensive AI researchers really helping out with the software side, I think there are other players that could really catch up. And I think that market is trying to figure out as to how much of a lead does Tesla really have? Do they have a year ahead or three or five? Okay. Um, we think that what would be really interesting going forward is that are we going to see consolidation in the space? Yeah. Are automakers yes. going to buy software companies? Is Tesla yes. going to get acquired? Who knows? But it is probably easy to kind of um, uh, predict that the advancement is happening and whether, whether you guys want the autonomous car today and whether it's ready or not, it's coming. Mm -hmm. And I'm personally a tech geek, so I'm very excited about it. Mm -hmm. Well, and let, let's talk a little bit about, okay, so on the auto manufacturer side, you've got uh, kind of this, this race to bring something to the consumer. Um, you also have, as you mentioned, there's that rideshare side. And you know, in your white paper before, you were really kind of talking about Waymo, uh, you know, which, whose parent is Alphabet, of course, and how they had a lot of those Kind of software advancements now they're not wanting to get into the auto manufacturing but they are kind of coming up with like the picks and shovels i guess that the uh, a lot of the auto manufacturers will need for this autonomous driving so where, where do they stand now i think that they they're continuing to be advancing uh they've been super quiet right now because they're trying to navigate through regulation they're the first mm -hmm. ones to really come out with their autonomous software right so I think that they're trying to be really cautious in terms of the type of impact they're going to make. So they are quietly still rolling out in parts of Arizona. So, mm -hmm. so the ride-sharing program is real. It's happening. It's happening in California, and it's happening selectively throughout the country. But they, they have actually um, have stopped going to the media and talking a lot about it. So they're still doing autonomous vehicle type of conferences and participating in panels. But they're, they're being really quiet because they really don't want a lot of negative PR and attention at the moment. So, but I think in terms of advancements, 
uh, we do have the advancements in sensors and computer vision technologies and, and the cost is coming down. Um, but, but the big powerhouse and where the big market opportunity really will be in the, uh, the consumer focused autonomous cars. And right now, um, you still need some type of, uh, you know, your hand on a steering wheel, which is really not autonomous, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to still have a lot of uh, kind of uh, investors and people that's following this technology being really skeptical. Um, but looking at just from a technology lens, um, I could see a lot of exciting things happening. Venture funding is still very strong in this space. Um, enterprise uh, use cases also expanding in terms of farming equipment and lots of drone capability. So that has been totally, um, it's been unstoppable in terms of investments around it and advancements. So Lisa, you're a portfolio manager, you're an analyst, and, and obviously you're like a lot of other people of you know, understanding this larger trend that's going to eventually happen. For investors and for you, uh, how, how do you position yourself to right. really start to get the pieces in place to really profit from this trend? Yeah, and I think because it's still, we're still in the early stages, I think that the best way to probably capture this is to either invest in um, index strategies that's capturing some of these major disruptions, innovations, so you're not completely um, uh, centered around autonomous cars or just on gaming. So you want exposure to all the emerging technologies. Um, so we have a strategy, THNQ, that's a pure play AI focused um, companies that are enablers and developers and also companies that are using AI capabilities. Um, you could also invest in uh, chip makers that have exposure in artificial intelligence and data center and cloud technology, companies like NVIDIA, AMD. So that's also another way. Um, and you could even go broader and, and look at companies like Microsoft and Apple as well. So there, I think that there are many ways to capture this exposure and to actually profit and, and grow from this emerging trends that we're seeing. That's really uh, not something that we believe is a fad or a hype. We believe that this is a, a multi-decade type of innovation that we're about to see. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned a little bit earlier about how there's some of the places uh, where the money is flowing into venture capital. And this is this is not so easy for a regular investor to invest in. You know, you either have to be accredited or, you know, sometimes an even higher threshold in order to participate in that. So with so many of these, this new technology and a lot of this merger and acquisition activity going on, um, what about the venture capital side? Some of these companies that are private or maybe not accessible. Yes, I think that for the average uh investor, you are probably limited in terms of which private companies you could participate in. There are a lot of different platforms where you could participate as an angel investor or through your alumni connections. But for the most part, if you're following the space closely, uh, finding companies like Microsoft and Apple, that's really gobbling up a lot of these small technologies. And also even looking at chip makers that are really um, defining themselves as a leader in, let's say, artificial intelligence, computer vision, vision technologies. Companies like Umbrella, for example, they're not a household name at the moment, but they are really building an asset around many technology capabilities and, look, and finding a lot of great companies to acquire and also partner with. 
So you'd be really amazed at some of the uh, kind of venture activities that some of these companies have in their corporate venture side. So we track um, every company through private to public and even looking at the venture activities. And you're starting to see a lot of tech companies or even manufacturing industrial companies having a venture arm. So if you're investing in a company like GXO or Zebra, you're also going to get their venture part of the business, which also has a portfolio of private companies. Mm. So that's, that's a very exciting way. And I think that's a different way of looking at some of these uh, technology leaders that you may have never looked at them in that kind of angle before. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Lisa, you, you brought up Umbrella, and Umbrella is, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a good example of a company almost reinventing themselves. Right, they they had the the chip that was used in the GoPro, and then they evolved into this computer vision company that's well positioned for self driving. What were some of the steps that they took? Was it through the venture? Did they acquire some of the computer vision uh, companies to help them do that, or was it kind of like an internal strategy? I think it was an internal strategy with some leadership that said, you know what, we can't be focused on just one aspect of a consumer or electronic mm-hmm. space. So they've decided to really um, have a complete shakeup in terms of their shift in strategy. So now they have really hired a lot of the experts and developers to really build up their AI team. So they are now uh, really well known in the industry in terms of computer vision technology and going into the enterprise sector. So I think that really changed the way they were being valued. Yeah. So at, at this moment, Um, they're partnering up really heavily with all the relevant software companies, whether uh, emerging or not. So they're really building their portfolio and also credibility in the space. They're still known as a computer vision technology company, but broader than just consumer. And I think that was something that they learned Mm -hmm. when the consumer sector um, declined, that they were really exposed to that just one segment of the group. So now they're consumer enterprise um, many companies that we follow, whether they're private or public, really want to partner with companies like Umbrella. Wow. So they've really changed their branding and positioning. So we're really excited to see where they're going to go from here. But we also think that uh, the industry will further consolidate. So Umbrella could be a really good takeover candidate at right, some point right. for, to someone. Because right. uh, as you guys have been following the space for a long time, semiconductor industry is just so acquisitive industry. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like that's something that we should probably talk a little bit more about because uh, certainly with all of the AI, uh, you know, semiconductors, I mean, that's been one of the strongest groups. So I think there's a lot to talk about there, that, but let's go ahead and save that for the next segment. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Kicking yourself for that early exit? You can prevent them, and it's easier than you think. Go to freestockcoaching.com to see the tool independent traders are using to perfect their trades, artificial intelligence. AI doesn't involve staring at your screen for hours, and no research is needed. Just pick a stock and press a button. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see a live demo now. You need to be ready for rapid market changes, and AI can help you avoid potential losses. Check out freestockcoaching.com to learn more. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with my good friend, Arusha Pires, and our special guest, Lisa Chai, a portfolio manager and analyst at RoboGlobal. So uh, Lisa, we were talking a little bit about AI and how critical that is, you know, building, building that data and, and getting all of that machine learning in there for the autonomous driving. 
But let's talk a little bit more outside of autonomous driving. What, what else is exciting and going on with artificial intelligence? I think right now you can't really escape what you're hearing about metaverse. I'm sure you're getting a lot of calls and we're getting a lot of calls from our, our readers and audience investors on what is metaverse. And what's really interesting is that metaverse is nothing new. It's been really around um, probably for the last decade or so. It's just been loosely defined as maybe 3D virtual reality, augmented reality. But what we do know is that it is sort of the next big step in the evolution of internet technology. It's basically um, a digital technology where the digital and physical worlds sort of come together. So it is very cutting edge. It's got a very big AI component to it. Um, in, in, a, in a price sort of use cases, you've probably heard terms like digital twin, and that is a, some yes. type of metaverse technology. So there is a metaverse world in the gaming world. There's a metaverse world in the enterprise world, whether you're building a smart factory or helping a technician um, help a, you know, solve a, a problem in, in the equipment or even designing a smart city. So that metaverse term that you're gonna to start to hear is it, it is gonna be loosely defined, but also it's evolving at the same time. And we think that's really exciting because um, while it's been around for a while, we are seeing some real innovation technology and really strong kind of use cases being built out. So Lisa, is it, is it really gonna become as big as everyone is thinking where we're all gonna be walking around outside with headsets on? Well, that seems controversial, right? There's a lot of different people saying different things, like this is going to be the next big thing or this is going to be the biggest flop since Second Life. Yeah, I mean, I love talking about it and reading about it, but I don't think I personally want to be in the metaverse universe all the time. Right. But I do think that um, the, the most valuable companies in the world are investing very heavily. Yes. So more and more each week, um, there are more players coming to the space and talking about it. So we had Microsoft report this week, right? And they talked about how metaverse is a very important strategy for them. And I don't think a year ago they were using actually that term metaverse. So you're starting to hear CEOs talking about it and your coworkers and, and, and your kids are gonna talk about it. So I think it is now here to stay. It's not gonna go away. Okay. And um, I do think that uh, more and more our times are gonna be used in this type of virtual reality setting. And as long as we use it in a way that's productive and uh, socially um, conscious and aware on, and how this type of technology could really impact us because there is there are gonna be a lot of implications. And I think it could be entertaining. And I think it could also be very helpful if you use it properly in a business setting. So there are many use cases that we could touch on, but I think the gaming sector is probably the most exciting part right now and probably the most advanced. Well, well, since you mentioned Microsoft, just very quickly, because they, they, even though maybe they're just starting to mention metaverse, the term, they came out with that HoloLens a number of years back, which was really mind-boggling when I saw kind of demos on that. But, and maybe, I guess, within, maybe within industrial companies, it's being used. But yeah, I think they were hoping that that was going to be much larger applications towards retail people too. I think so. And I think they struggled with, bring the cost down to build the HoloLens. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that that was their problem is that they were still a couple of thousand dollars a headset yeah. and most people can't really afford that. Right. But the business users were using it. I remember going to a trade show 
um, by one of our portfolio companies, PTC. And they actually um, allowed me to do a demo where I became a worker in a water treatment center helping out a technician how to move the equipment. So that type of um, having, and that's not really an avatar, it's more about simulation, um, but that type of interaction, I'm sure was really extremely helpful during the pandemic when we were all locked down and some of the remote workers couldn't get to some of the locations. So these type of use cases has been around and obviously Microsoft um, partner with some of the technology providers to provide a HoloLens, but it was never really that available in the consumer selling unless you were a major gamer and you were spending much of your discretionary income building out your game room, right? Yeah. So most of us did not have access to it, but now you are gonna see more competition and the headsets are getting lighter, more advanced and smaller. And maybe it won't be so bulky picking up half our face. And maybe we are gonna, <laughs> we are gonna bring it to our work and have some type of interaction. Microsoft also talked about um, building out their team capability. And as you know, team, uh, mm -hmm. is something that competes with Zoom. And could you imagine um, after interacting with Justin, um, you're able to put on your glasses and have your avatar engage with Justin directly. So this is sort of their vision is to have uh, that in, in employee engagement with each other. So they have very ambitious plans on how they could roll this out on an enterprise setting. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, again, as you said, it seems like metaverse has definitely become the the big buzzword, certainly once Facebook made their change uh, in name. Uh, I should also mention that we actually had uh, Alexis Garcia on the show not too long ago. And, you know, she's one of the Investors Business Daily reporters and her first podcast growth stories was on the metaverse. Uh, you know, I'm bringing Patrick Seitz on there. So we've got a little bit more of this, you know, business sense, but you certainly seem to focus a lot on the gaming part uh, of things. So maybe we should talk a little bit about gaming. And I mean, just this week, we had news. You keep on mentioning Microsoft as a player here, and we had this uh, acquisition news with Activision. So uh, what's what's going on in the gaming space as it relates to artificial intelligence, metaverse, and all mm -hmm. of the things that you uh, do your deep dives on? Gaming space is super hot right now. I think it's been hot for a few years, but and the consolidation has really been active. But in the last few weeks, you saw Zynga getting acquired mm -hmm. and you saw Activision getting acquired by Microsoft. And that was Microsoft's largest acquisition by far. Mm -hmm. and, and it's also the largest technology acquisition. And so that's really interesting to have a largest technology acquisition be Activision, right? Mm -hmm. A company that yeah. has games and franchise like Call of Duty and Candy Crush. So obviously um, it's their mobile gaming side that was also very interesting. That's a moneymaker. Um, but also the metaverse strategy was also a key factor for Microsoft to bring some of these platforms into their system and have their uh, HoloLens capability as well. So they have very big ambitions as to how to bring this content alive. And um, it was a very key discussion on their earnings call as well. So it's so this really, I think that um, it's really showcasing as to what 2022 is going to look like. I think this is not over. We're going to see uh, more acquisitions coming. I think electronic, electronic arts is going to be active. They still have over $3 billion in their cash balance to acquire some game studios. Um, what's really changed in the gaming world is that it, traditionally you saw uh, gaming companies getting acquired 
acquire for their long-term franchise. These are traditional mm-hmm. games. Yeah. But now you're starting to see some of the smaller studios and, sm- and development teams getting acquired. So now some of the gaming publishers and platform companies like Microsoft are going right into the creators of the content. And that's something that you didn't really see in the past. And the valuation is really high for the gaming space. So you can see that this is an area that's super hot. Uh, There's obviously market opportunity here in terms of the TAM and the growth. So, and we think that mobile side is gonna be very interesting. Just last year alone, $80 billion of revenue was generated on the mobile gaming side. So, which is shocking because most of the mobile games start out as free to play. Yeah. And that's a really, right. that's a really uh, kind of, we think that's a um, really misleading term, right? Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's free to play for three seconds. Yes. With in-app then, purchases, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you're spending $22 for 40 minute game because you have to upgrade to stay in the game. Yep. But it is very addictive and everybody plays and it's something that you could play on your smartphone. And I think that's sort of the reason why um, you're seeing this big uh, growth coming out of business. And, and Microsoft's revenues and earnings report indicated that, uh, that the gaming side, while it was a very strong area, it wasn't from their Xbox. It was really from the actual gaming publishing side and also the mobile side. Now, Lisa, with, uh, with now the other player, I mean, we touched on a little bit, but with Facebook, especially with Metaverse, they're, they're one of the larger players in this and, and probably force Microsoft to go after Activision to try to get a little bit more into that space. First, I was kind of surprised that Facebook didn't really try to get Activision. But uh, I, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried the Oculus, but when it, we, we tried it at work, one of our workers, co-workers brought the, right. the Oculus a couple of years ago uh, to, and it was... It, it, I mean, it was one of those kind of things that when you when you try it on, you're like, okay, everything's kind of going to change here. So it might mm-hmm. not be with this kind of uh, model, but someone's right. going to figure it out where it gets light enough because it was so much more engaging, so much more immersive. Where do you see like a, a Facebook uh, going now? Do you think that they maybe go for another kind of publisher to, to acquire or get a little bit more aggressive to try to combat Microsoft? I think they definitely have to um, because I think you have to own the whole stack. I don't mm-hmm. think you could just have a, a hardware capability and just have some AI algorithms. I think you have to also own the content. And I think that Microsoft has figured out in terms of business model yeah. and they just have the experience in from their enterprise business and how to make the business models work. What Facebook has done is they're very ambitious and they're very vocal. They have, um, they've hired some recent talented people that are industry leaders and in immersive content and also uh, PhDs in computer science that have that come with really strong AI background. So they've been very aggressive in building out the team. They have over 400 AI researchers just dedicated to meta alone, metaverse wow. technologies. So they're very committed and dedicated. Um, they believe that future of social media is all about gaming and, our, and, and they really wanna own you. So at the end of the day, the most valuable company is really gonna be somewhat, a company that figures out how to own our time. It's the most valuable thing that we all have. Right. And they're gonna, and they're just fighting over as to who's gonna be able to take my time. They wanna take full hours of my time, whether I'm looking through Instagram or Facebook or playing their game. 
So that's a lot of time. We don't even know who's really taking their time because of the names are all different, the branding, the logo. So it's really hard to tell as to what you're kind of doing. However, Facebook is dedicated. They are spending over $10 billion a year just on metaverse alone. And that's huge. So the Oculus um, 2, which I have at home, it's a really great experience. I could be a boxer one second. I could be a wide receiver, right? Playing my NFL game. Yeah. Um, and I could also go camping and put my tent out. And, and this is all through that immersive experience. Their Oculus 3 that's going to come out is apparently going to be a lot smaller form factor. It's going to be thinner, probably will be good for people that could you know play the game a little longer because mm -hmm. right now currently still the, the headset's a little heavier right. um so you're gonna see with that 10 billion dollar type of investments a year that they're dedicated um you have to see much more improvement advancements in the in the headset so we could have this better digital experience right so i think that we're definitely going to see that um today facebook is way ahead of everybody else in the race at the moment with metaverse and i think microsoft is um is next as number two provider especially with this activision and then you got companies like apple yep. who's mm -hmm. super quiet about yeah. it yeah. Um, we we know that it has to do something with subscription fee and something with their ios and their iphone but they've been very quiet about what their metaverse strategy is so i'm sure they're going to come out and, and make a splash as well but I, I do believe that this is just the beginning in terms of the headline news and consolidation acquisitions investments. I think that Facebook started it, but it's, a, it's an area that we believe that even companies like Amazon is going to be very active. So stay tuned. What about like a Roblox? I think that they're probably going to be one of those companies that's going to be acquired, acquired. right? Okay. So you're either going to be an acquirer or acquired. And I don't really see the space being dominated by more than five players. Mm -hmm. And you're obviously going to have some smaller uh, industrial technology companies that have a metaverse technology for the factories or for digital twin. Um, but the real players that's really going to be um, adding a ton of value and building out the entire technology stack are companies that have a really a big war chest of portfolio of content and technology and also uh, cash so they could actually spend without investors getting mad at you, right? So if you're an industrial tech company buying, uh, uh, building out AR, VR headset, investors aren't going to like that. Well, certainly a lot of exciting things to talk about. Again, I always love having folks on from uh, Robo Global because it just feels like sci-fi. Uh, <laughs> really gets gets me excited and you know right, reminds me of my youth. Um, so just as a reminder for folks, uh, you know T H N Q. Uh, that that's one way to kind of participate in the artificial intelligence, as you said, Lee. So this is something that you know we're probably in the early stages of, but. It's not necessarily a get rich quick. This is something that's uh, potentially developing over a long period of time, right? Yes, exciting. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on the show again, Lisa. And we'll have to have you on again because this stuff is moving very fast. So we'll have to get your update a little bit quicker than 18 months, I think. Yes, great. <laughs> okay. I love, Thanks, to, I love to be back. Thank you. Okay. And when we come back, Arusha and I are going to take a little bit of a look at the market and a few stocks that may be on our radar. Stay tuned. 
Why trade off hope and optimism when you can trade using the world's most powerful indicator? Artificial intelligence has been used by traders to navigate the markets for the past three decades. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see the world-leading AI forecasting software for yourself. Trusted by more than 32,000 traders, AI uses millions of data points to track market trends, giving you the support you need right now. Go to freestockcoaching.com and we'll help you find great opportunities today. Our experts will show you what stocks are setting up for big changes right now. So head over to freestockcoaching.com for a free demo. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with my good friend, Arusha Pires, and we're going to talk a little bit about the market right now and some stocks, but let's go ahead and start with maybe the market. Uh, we had a Fed meeting today, uh, very volatile Monday. Uh, the reversal just looked really kind of impressive. I mean, we were down on the NASDAQ composite 4.9% on Monday, and then we closed positive by six-tenths of a percent. Uh, yesterday was an inside day, and then today we had the Fed meeting, and things were looking kind of positive. Uh, NASDAQ was up over 2%, and uh, then the Fed meeting happened. Uh, pretty good reaction at, at the start, and then it reversed as the press conference uh, continued. So, Arusha, let me ask you. So uh, 11 o'clock Pacific time rolls around, Fed meeting uh, is coming out. What's, what's your strategy? Are you sitting there with your finger on the trigger ready, ready to take some action? Yeah, uh, well, for that first minute, right? And you can see with my hair, my hair is all messy because I was trying to watch the interday action, the interminute action of, of the market after the Fed. Uh, and so actually, the more you watch it, and this, this is what I've found from... Uh, Fed announcements is you everyone just gets amped up you know you're like oh mm -hmm. what's gonna happen and your first inclination is to do something right if the the, the the market starts really rocking up oh my god I'm gonna miss out on this rally what uh, over the years I've learned the hard way not to do anything yeah and and that these days and actually what I did this time around is I, I just took a look to see what they did uh, what they announced and what they said uh, and then I walked away and had lunch because uh, <laughs> I know I'm going to mess it up. Probably so the best I, idea. Uh -huh. yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I saw the NASDAQ was up like 3%. And then, then all of a sudden I got all these messages on teams and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I was like, oh my God, it's rolling over. You know, I was like, okay, now here it comes back down. And yeah, I, I think I made the, better, the, the right choice. Mm -hmm. Now that's because you probably have low exposure right now. I have low I'm exposure, guessing. but you always kind of feel when it was up. I'll tell you when 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 the Nasdaq was up more than three percent, I had that. You know, Jared oh, yeah. was Jared Hendler was talking about last week that fear of missing out. Oh, right? yeah. I kind of was like, oh my god, I'm going to be left behind. Everyone's going to get rich, uh, you know, except me. You know, uh, and so I kind of had that itch that I wanted to do something, uh, but I, I've just seen it. I've seen this enough that a lot of times, and this is just kind of my own experience, and uh, is that the, it's going to react one way, and then by the either later that day or by the next day, it does the opposite. Yeah. So if it starts really rallying up, and you start buying stocks, especially if they're extended, you think they're just going to keep going up. The next day, they're giving it all back, and you're losing money uh, by the end of the day. There, so. I like things to settle down. It made it a lot easier this time around because we are in a correction. Right. Tomorrow is the when we could get a falter day, not mm -hmm. today. I mean, if we had a falter day today, they would have been a little 
-hmm. If this was the fourth day, and because the markets were up even before the Fed announcement, they were up more than 2%. And so it would have been reasonable for us to expect, oh my gosh, we're going to go back in an uptrend. I should look for something to buy. We're going to get a fall today. But luckily it was only day number three. Right. And, you know, we do sometimes talk about these third day follow through days, these rare cases, but usually that's when you have a lot more power on the first and second day. And we just didn't get that on the second day. Uh, we should probably take a look at the S&P 500 because one of the things that we were noting on IBD Live this morning was how it looked like the 200-day moving average line was potentially resistance. We hit that early in the session, uh, came back down from that a little bit, but we're still uh, well, well into positive territory. Hit it again after the Fed announcement and then uh, things things really got ugly from there. So is that 200-day line, is that a, a place where you, you'd like to see the S&P 500 get back above that line? Yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, that would be the first step. Uh, you know, one thing that we learned early on, and, and Scott O'Neill would always kind of talk about this, like every day, the market will reveal another card. They'll kind of mm -hmm. flip another card, giving you the environment. It, it flipped another card to give more, add a little bit more evidence to we're still in a bad market right here. Maybe we're in a bear market. You know, uh, We've definitely been with a number of growth stocks in the bear market, but now maybe you're starting to see the rest of them that were hanging in there starting to go into a more of a serious correction. And the reversal today was uh, not good, uh, mm -hmm. but you want to keep an open mind though too. You still could get a, a, a fall today of market and uptrend tomorrow or any of these days starting from tomorrow. Uh, and and then you look for something to buy. So you don't want to necessarily lean one way or the other, too bullish, too bearish. But that being said, the 200-day does look like, uh, at least for the, this week or the next few weeks, uh, like some kind of significant resistance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't on IBD Live today, but I kind of uh, did, did the voiceover work for a little bit. And one of the points I was making is how flexible the founder of Investors Business Daily was, uh, Bill O'Neill, of course, um, and, you know, I, I just shared multiple stories in my time with him where, you know, he'd, he'd seem so bullish on a stock, you know, we were talking about eBay, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he's like not talking about it anymore, or he's super bearish. And I shared a story of where he was sending, uh, sending letters to clients, 500 clients about how bearish he was in September of 99, but then in October, he's buying, you know, because there was a follow through day. So I think that flexibility, I always think of those trees that you see on like the cliffs where the, the wind, you know, has just kind of made them, uh, you know, all kind of, just, all yeah, 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 yeah. They're all, you, you can see which way the wind blows. And yeah. again, you know, that tree has kind of formed itself. It's been flexible enough to go with the way the wind has blown instead of being so rigid. Uh, that's, that's where things break. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, I think the, the big thing is it doesn't have to be all or none. Right. Uh, you can mm -hmm. slowly move in, slowly move out. These rules are here for a reason. So even though, say we got a fall, fall today, this market signal mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow or, or next week, that would tell us that the market has a chance to go back in an uptrend. Yeah, my initial inclination is that there's no way that signal is going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, just because with the way so many stocks have gotten hit, it just tells me that it's going to be a lot of time. Uh, that, that's going to be needed for those growth stocks to build new bases. That being said, though, I will still look for something to buy. I will yeah. still look to get some exposure if we get that signal. Simply, and even knowing that I'm probably going to lose money. Mm -hmm. But the reason I do that is because 
if uh, it's kind of like back in April 2020, I <laughs> yeah. was 100% sure that that signal was not going to work. Oh, right there with you. I'm yeah, like, there's I, no way this is going to work. Right. And, but it but, did. And, and it worked and it worked and it worked. And, they, and we have this incredible, unusual V-shaped rally. So you you'd never want to lean too, too far to one side or the other. Just take it day by day. Let the market tell you what to do. And then in the end, also let the leading stocks or these growth stocks give you an opportunity to get exposure when they are breaking out of uh, sound patterns. Mm-hmm. And it's probably worth talking about a little bit. Uh, you know, a follow through day. OK, that's one part of the equation. Uh, you also have to have merchandise to buy. You have to have those setups. And that's something that just doesn't seem like we have a lot of right now. No, I mean, and we've talked about this last week. Uh, with it seems like the one sector that we do have is oil. Oil is acting mm-hmm. very, very well. Uh, and then there, there are a few others that we'll take a look at now. But uh, it, it, it's in a different area than we usually like to be in. The, it's not. It's the it's the commodities. It's not the growth mm-hmm. stocks. Right. And so if we get that fall today. Even though I like the growth stock, like we were talking with Lisa about all this mm-hmm. exciting innovation, I'm going to be looking more toward to buy some commodities, uh, and I'll I might not be as you know as as heavily invested in them as, and have as much conviction in them as I will with growth stocks. But I'm going to listen to the market because in the end, the market's always right. Mm-hmm. So one other thing I just want to mention um, before we get into some of those stocks that are potentially setting up is I did send out a tweet. Um, the, this. Uh, this week, uh, after that Monday reversal, uh, just just so people kind of know, what I, what I did was I just pulled out Nasdaq data. I just quickly ran. Okay, how many times did we close positive, and have the a pretty dramatic drop intraday? And uh, I, I picked the the top fifteen where it, we had the biggest dramatic drop. And again, four point nine percent was the case on Monday. And what happened afterwards? You know, what, where were you 10, 10 days later? And um, where, you know, how often did you undercut? And uh, I, I did share that on, on Twitter. Um, really kind of the, the, the takeaway is that this could be the bottom, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going up. You know, it, it could be a lot of sideways action. Um, this could be, you know, in a, in a good case scenario, uh, Arusha, you and I were talking about uh, back in 97, you know, January of 97, that there was a, a reversal like this that, you know, it, it didn't go up immediately, but it did kind of base out a little bit that allowed a lot of these setups to go. In May of, uh, May of 2000, you had a case where we did have a follow through day and you actually had a lot of power up until August, September of 2000. A lot of people forget that there was a very tradable rally there. So, so if you do want to look at those 15 examples that I pulled out and again, just put them in MarketSmith, change the date, uh, you can find that at IBD underscore J Nielsen, N-I-E-L-S-E-N, like Nielsen of Leslie Nielsen fame. So, or, or Justin, you know, I, I could retweet it and they can just go to at Irusha. Oh yeah, that's, that, that, that's probably better. More people probably <laughs> like, like you more anyway. So, uh, but, but before I cry in my soup uh, about how much people like you more than me, uh, let's go ahead and talk about some stocks. And we can go ahead and start with uh, some of the shipping stocks are still showing a lot of strength. So this is uh, Zim integrated shipping. Support the 50-day moving average line. And I got to tell you, the, the stocks that are getting support at their 50-day moving average line just look so different from the market right now. So what's what's your take on Zim? Yeah, it, 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 they, they stick out. They're showing some, it, Zim's showing some really 
good relative strength here. Uh, now, I think for a lot of these stocks, what my strategy is I want to try to buy more on pullbacks. Mm-hmm. So really on Monday on that upside reversal, that would have been more the time that I want to try to get into this instead of where I normally do, where I buy more strength. Uh, you, you have to wait. We're just not in an environment to buy strength. So, so I think that's one thing to keep in mind, but yeah, it is a little weird that this is above the 50 day moving average. The 50 day moving average is actually moving to the uh, to the upside here yeah. the relative strength Still line is very trend. strong <laughs> yeah uh, now it is uh, it, I, so i would consider it probably a little bit extended probably it's a little too volatile right now so you want it to settle down a little bit and but this is one that should be on the watch list we've talked about this in the past uh, mm-hmm. through in the podcast uh, on all of the ivd uh different channels uh huge earnings huge sales asset light shipping company that's well positioned because there's not enough ships out there to bring all the the goods over here. And so they're definitely benefiting uh, from this large trend and that trend could continue. But that being said, keep in mind that this has gone on a pretty big run from $20 out of that original IPO breakout all the way up to 60. So uh, it it could, you know, if this market gets worse, it wouldn't be a surprise to see this maybe pull back, finally break the 50 and build a new base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's definitely um, you know not not as easy as it was on that first run out of that IPO right. base. It's right. uh, if you just go to the weekly chart, you can kind of see it was a nice strong move uh, at the start, and then uh, we've gotten a little bit more choppy uh, here as 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 we've been basing a couple times since then. Um, let's go ahead and, and talk about on the growth 250. I was running my screens, I was sorting, and I'm sure you found some really great growth stocks. Right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I I started with a sort of Hey, just what's what's just up today? And uh, the biggest gainer was Archer Archer Daniels Midland. Uh, now, of course, they had earnings. Um, looks like they closed up five point seven percent. So, what does what does Archer Midland Daniels Midland do? Well, I would say they do share the same three letters as AMD. <laughs> there so you go. So that's <laughs> probably the only growth-related thing this company has. Uh, they're they're involved in food. That's all. That's all. I just look in the industry group and say food, grain-related. Like, Next, <laughs> uh, I mean they're, they're they're a monster company, obviously. Yes, but right. uh, this has been doing well for a long time. You know, over the last four or five months, I mean, they built a big cup with handle, emerged out of it, it found great support off the fifty day this uh this week and look at that relative strength lines it, it is just a new highs right here well and if you want to really look at it because i know most of you are driving or working out while listening to this go back go to investors.com slash podcast and you can take a look at the rs line when you're back at home but uh this is acting well it, it really sticks out versus the other stocks most of the stocks that have gotten hit the only problem is is that you know, when you see like the food stocks start to outperform, that's that's not telling you that it's really. I mean, that's telling you that it's it's not our market right now. Yeah, uh, group here number thirty four out of one ninety seven. Uh, we looked at Zim, that was number thirteen out of one ninety seven. Um, here's another one that's uh, right around the top fifty, and again, not our normal area, but uh, Travelers uh, ticker symbol TRV uh, Insurance. This seems to be an area that's holding up relatively well. Of course, those uh, the, the, the longer term yield increasing, uh, that's going to help their business. But here again, this isn't a big mover. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's holding up well, 
you see that relative strength line getting higher, but it's typically not one that has any big moves. Yeah, a lot of times if you want to learn about the character's stock, just look to the left of the chart, look at the history, and you can see that a Traveler's doesn't, it, it's in a pretty uh, tight range. It doesn't, goes down to maybe around 110, goes up to 150, and kind of just oscillates back and forth there. And that's, this has been for years. It's just been kind of hanging out around that range right there. Now it is an all-time high. It's at uh, 167, so that is significant. Uh but and it is being accumulated and people are trying to hide in, in the stock. So right. this is not necessarily a company that is changing the world or reinventing themselves. It's a company that's a good business that now uh, we're in an environment that is not rewarding uh, high growth, high valuation type of stocks. And they're rewarding more conservative, good, solid companies that pr probably just give you a nice little dividend. Let's go ahead and also talk about the optimism. Uh, again, if you have raised a lot of cash and you are on the sidelines, this is great. Um, you know, Roosh and I often joke uh, together how it's almost like on a day on Monday when you're down 4.9% at the lows, you're kind of like, burn, baby, burn. Just, you know, get it over with, you know, get, get all that destruction done so that I have my next opportunity to put my cash to work and, uh, you know, have another, have another great year. Yeah, it uh, you, the the markets aren't always going to give give money, right? They're not the windows are not always going to be open, and so when you learn to respect corrections and when you learn how to handle them, uh, you can just stay on the sidelines, let everyone else kind of get shaken out and try to pick the bottoms and things like that. But there's going to come a time we don't know if it's next week or. Uh, in a few months or even next year, but there's going to be an incredible opportunity, one of the best opportunities that uh, we'll, we'll see since, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, where great growth stocks, innovative stocks, you know, like mm -hmm. Lisa was talking about, uh, are going to set up and they're going to give us an opportunity to get into them and they're going to work really well. Yeah. And the harder the market falls a lot of times the bigger the bounce. I mean, that's just Newton's laws of physics right there. So um, that'll be it for us today. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, don't forget, you know, we've got a lot of stuff going on at investors.com. I know that Allie Corum and Alexis Garcia that we mentioned earlier, uh, her, her growth podcast that she's got going on, and we had her on the show a few weeks ago. They both have YouTube channels out now, so you might want to check those out. I know uh, they're, they're kind of giving you some behind-the-scenes looks on uh, what they do and their learning process. So uh, definitely check that out. And we hope to see you here next week on our podcast, where Arusha and I, we're not going to have a special guest this time around. It's just going to be a little bit of we time. So we'll uh, uh, shoot the breeze a little and uh, talk about the market and uh, any lessons that we might be able to take away from this correction or ones from the past. Hope you tune in for that. Thanks for joining us this time. We'll see you next time. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.